In the middle of all of this uh, very difficult time for Kla Yisrael, we're going to turn our hearts very much to the past and to Parshat Noach, and uh, of course, dedicating all of our learning to the Chayalim and Chayalot and the, the residents of the South and and everybody uh, that we should have a Yeshua quickly and we should really see an end, uh, not only an end to the war, but an end to our enemies, an end to these terrible barbarians. Uh, and uh, so we go to a period which really kind of is anchored in barbarism, uh, except we're going to go past that. We're going to go immediately post-Diluvian to the scene after the Teva, after the flood, and we're going to note that there are three stages in the exit of the from the Teva, and they're kind of strange. And so I'd like to focus really on the first one, but to first give the whole picture. So we have here in in Perakhet in the middle by the Berlim on Noach Lemort Seimin Ateva Atav Yishtachav Manechav and Shemanechi Tach and on and on until we get to the highlighted section Pasuk Chafalif which is the list of everybody who's going to go out. What's the first thing that Noach does? Right in Pasuk Chaf Vayiven Noach Mizbeach Ladunai. The first thing he does build a Mizbeach. And Rashi on the spot says that Noah simply figured out on his own. It must, there must have been some reason that Hashem told me to take more of the animals that are tahor than of the other ones. That, of course, how we define what tahor is, is a machloket, meaning is it following the lines of kashu or something else, kashu uh, lamizbeach. But he builds a mizbeach and he offers up these korbanot. And what is Hashem's response to this? So I will be honest with you. My entire life up until this week, I read this response one way because I didn't think about it. God smells, and of course that's an anthropomorphism, anthropopathism, something. Um, the reach hanichoach. Now how do we typically translate reach hanichoach? Pleasing smell. Pleasing smell, sweet smell, succulent smell. Right? Okay, good. And where do we know Reach from typically? Where is it used a lot? Now, is Nichoach connected to Noach, by the way? Korbanot. The it's used a lot in Korbanot, right? Every Korban is the Reach Nichoach. Not true that every Korban is. Don't say about a Chatat. does say that about Ola, about Shlamim, about Hashem. Reach Nichoach Lashem. Okay, and it says that about public Korbanot, private Korbanot. Reach Nichoach Lashem. And in Halacha, the famous Mishnah at the end of the fourth paragraph of Zvachim, you have to shechle of six things in mind, and two of them are reach and nichoach. Right, so it seems to be a very pleasing, positive thing. Let's wait. Right now we know Hashem smells a smell that's nichoach. What's God's reaction to evidently that smell or the korban? God says to himself, which itself is a strange phrase to use, because you could have also done it this way. You could have said, Vayom Hashem. Because whenever you have the verb Amar without a target mentioned, it means think. Right? Vayomer Shmuel. Right? And Vayomer Shaul, sorry. And he's not talking to anybody. He's thinking. Right? Shaul thinks that David is Tameh. That's why he didn't show up at the Rosh Chodesh feast. After I read last Shabbat. Right? Not Elibo. Vayomer Shaul. So it could have said Vayom Hashem. Instead, it says Vayom Hashem El Libo. It's a strange phrase. Lo bavur ha'adam. Now, there's something of a non sequitur here. Hashem smells the smell of the korbanot, 
He then says to his heart, I'm not no longer going to curse the land because of Adam. That's not what just happened. This is not the Mabul. What is Hashem now reflecting back on? The curse that Adam was given after the Chet Eitzadat, that the land, the, the land will be cursed, and uh, when you work the land, uh, you'll have to work with your sweat and your brow, and you'll have thistles, etc., etc. I'm not going to curse the land anymore. Why? And the conclusion is even stranger. Man's tendency is evil from his youth. Very strange. I mean, besides the theological problem, which we will not be able to answer, because I don't think anybody can answer it, is what does it mean that God suddenly figured something out? It's kind of like at the very end of Parshat Breshi, where God says, oops, I made man. That was a big mistake. What does that mean? But here it says if God has the big reveal, which is, or the reveal to himself, which is, man is evil from his youth. Now, by the way, how did that connect with the conclusion? Meaning, I'm not. I'm going to remove the curse from the land because man is evil from his youth. And how does any of that follow from the korbanot and the reach nichoach? Seems very strange. You would think Hashem gets a reach nichoach, and He said, "I'll be machaper on man. I'll love man. I'll give him things. I'm going to remove a curse because I know that he's evil from his youth." Is a strange thing. And then He continues, osif od asiti. and I'll never again destroy all living things like I just did. Which means, of course, the Mabul being a one-time-in-history thing. I'll never, I'll never do it again. And then there's yet another conclusion. Od kol for the rest of the existence of the world, put in simple terms, the climate and seasons will remain consistent and reliable. Which means that Somehow, part of what's happened in the last either year in the Mabul or hundreds of years since the curse has been for there to be no consistency, no reliability in the in the cosmos. Do you understand that we have several non sequiturs here? And I listed them here. Thank you, Jason. With the questions at the bottom of the page is how does one thing follow from the other? Very strange. Now, after this, and this is going to be our main focus, but I just want to finish the picture after this. Hashem then does speak to Noah, and he blesses his kids, and he tells them Purvu, and then suddenly he gives them a law code. And it's the first time we've heard a law code, which is that you're now allowed to eat meat, but you can't eat meat with the blood, meaning you can't and and I'm going to be looking after your own blood. And if somebody kills another person, then they're going to die because they spilled blood. And then, now some Rishonim read the Vav of Viatem Purvu in Pasuk Zion as not a Vav HaChibur, but Vav HaNigud, meaning if somebody murders another person, then he will be killed, but, meaning rather, instead of killing each other, become plentiful. Right? Instead, multiply and spread throughout the earth. But the locate, the placing of this is a little bit strange. Because the next parsha is the one we would expect to have been here, which is, I am going to fulfill my breed with you. And my breed is with you. This is a unique breed. I'll explain why in a minute. 
because this Brit, uh, this Brit is with you and with all of the creatures and with everything out. And I'm going to continue my Brit. And by the way, the word Brit is clearly the Milam Anchai here. You see it shows up seven times. It's no, no, no puzzle there. It's about the Brit. And what's the Brit? I'm never going to again destroy the world with a flood. And what's the sign of the Brit? The sign of the Brit is the Keshet. And when it comes time that I want to destroy the world, I'll take a look at the Keshet and I'll remember the Brit and I will not destroy the world. Okay. But you understand that that this statement should have been right after the heavily highlighted piece. In other words, Hashem smells the Reachlichoach. He says to himself, I'm never going to destroy the world again. Then he should have turned to man and said, okay, here's my, my brit. I'm not going to destroy the world again, and here's the sign. Instead, we have this whole law code put in the middle, and that's followed by the Ota brit. Again, the flow here is odd. The sequencing is odd. The information is unusual. Everything about this is strange. But to be honest, when we normally learn the story of the Mabul, we get usually taken up by one of four things and draw our attention. And this is usually elided. And it's the first time in 27 years that we're looking at this. First of all, there's the flood, the whole flood story. Right, that's big. The second thing is that we are, people often look at Migdal Bavel. It's a very big story that comes way afterwards, but it, it, it's got its own charm and its own artwork and its own history and its own parshanut and a big machlok would be showing about what they were doing, what was wrong. That's got its own piece. Of course, a lot of attention in Parshat Noach is drawn to the very end because we finally get to meet somebody who's mishpacha, we meet Avram. And the story of Avram and Sarai and Terach and everything that starts there. So a lot of people focus on that. And of course, in our circle, we will often come back to the famous incident in the tent with all of its strangeness. But this piece is usually skipped over, and it's strange. If you think about it, it actually doesn't make much sense. We have to figure out what's going on. Now, parenthetically, within the context of this brief that's mentioned, there is a passage at the very beginning of the story when Hashem tells Noah to build a teva and go into the teva. He says to him something that's very strange. I'm going to fulfill my brief with you. Now, what should follow What should follow would be two things, which should always follow a breed, which is, this is what I'm going to do for you, and this is what you're going to do for me. And if you wish, there could also be two other pieces, which are in every breed, which is, and if you do not do this for me, this is what I'm going to do to you. That's what the breed at Har Sinai is. That's what the breed and Arvot Moab is. Right? That's what the Brit that Yoshua makes in Shechem and the Brit that Shmuel makes in Mitzpah. A Brit is always made up of that. And here, Vakimotia Briti Tach, it doesn't say what the Brit is. It just says, I'm going to fulfill my Brit with you. Now go into the Teva. And so some Rishonim suggest that this Brit at the very beginning of the Parsha is pointing to this Brit towards the end of the Parsha. And the idea is, I am going to protect you. I'm making a brief that I'm going to protect you. You're afraid. You're going into a teva. It's unknown what's going to happen. I'll protect you. And that that brief then translates later into, and all of the survivors and their progeny will all be protected. It's all part of one brief. But as I said, this entire brief is a unique one in the annals of britot. Because a brief, by definition, has two parties. It could have multiple parties. It can't be one-sided. Because a brit really means a covenant, a treaty, an agreement 
between parties. And there's all sorts of ways in which we transact a breed and commit to a breed between parties. Famous uh, example in Yirmiyahu Lamedalad of cutting a calf in half and then people walking through together to commit that they're agreeing to this. And anybody who, the symbolism is anybody who violates the breed, this will happen to them, they'll be cut in half, etc. And the problem with this breed, both the breed after the Mabul and that one line at the beginning is there's only one party here. Meaning, at no point does man have to do anything. Go into the table, I'll take care of you. Continue to live and populate, and I won't destroy the world again. It's very strange. And now, in the line in Source 2, it's a little easy to see, because it says, I'm making a breed, I'll fulfill it with you. But here, in in the larger piece, he says, which means, I'm making a breed with you and with your kids forever. And he continues to talk about the problem, of course, is there are no terms to the breed. The breed is one-sided. God says, here's my breed. I'm not going to destroy the world again. And if I get really angry, I'll look at the rainbow and I'll remember and I won't destroy the world again. Where's the where's the two sides on this breed? It's very strange. Um, but I want to really focus here on, on the opening section because it's really troubling. I'm going to say something here which will go against all convention, but you guys are used to that. Step back a second and be in the Teva. You are Noah. You've been traveling for months, locked in the Teva with your wife, your three sons and their wives, and all of these animals, and everything that comes along with that. And you've been actually docked on Herrera Rat for quite a while, waiting for the waters to subside and the birds to not come back, and finally they get a command to leave. Okay. You leave. First of all, where are you? So from all evidence here, you're on Ararat. You're up in the mountain region somewhere in Turkey. Okay. You come out of the Teva. What should be the first thing that you do? What would you imagine be the first thing as a responsible citizen of the world that you're going to do now that the world has been spared? You've been spared. The world's been destroyed. And and you're now got kind of samples from all the animals with you, and you got your kids and their wives. What should you do? What do you think? You probably need to get food. What? Probably need to get food. Probably need to get food, go ahead, and organize some sort of system for food, like planting maybe. Good. What else? You need shelter yet, or are you going to stay shelter? in Shelter, good. Oh. Shelter, right? In other words, what's the first thing Cain does when he is exiled from wherever they are and he starts wandering. First thing is, he builds a city, has a kid, names the, names the city after his kid. Because he starts settling down and starts building a new life. Noah's first move is strange. The first thing he does is to build a Mizbeach and take animals and slaughter them on the Mizbeach and offer them up to God. Where did Noah oh. get this idea from? Well, he, maybe maybe he's concerned that this will happen again. And how's this going to help? Maybe he thinks God needed to show some submission or something or thanks or whatever. But how how is this going to help? Meaning, where did anybody ever get the idea that a way to show thanks or something like that is take some animals and slaughter them? It's strange. So I'm going to make the following suggestion 
just I want to take a look at a couple things here first. But Reach, let, let's talk about the Reach Nichoach first. And and really about Reach. Because of time, we won't be able to look at all the Rishonim that I have here. But you'll notice that some of the Rishonim, actually some Machronim, I put Regio in here this time. Um, speak about Reach in two planes. Let's think about Reach. Because people often talk about Reach as being the most spiritual of all the five senses. And I agree. What does Reach give you? So Reach, first of all, I think it's the, I think as Reggio points out, is associated with memory. You think about it. You smell something that's evocative. You go visit your grandmother and you smell her cooking. You smell, um, uh, you know, you walk into a shul, you haven't been in a while, it has a certain smell. Walk into a library, it has a smell. I mean, we live much more antiseptic lives in that way, but smells really are evocative. That's one thing. But the other piece is that reach seems to be sort of like a front for real information, meaning it's telling you that there's something behind it. Because every reach means there's food, or there's dirty clothing, or whatever it is, that's there, and it's sort of like a, a siman of it. So now, Hashem smells, anthropomorphically, Hashem smells the reach nichoach. So he smells the smell, and the critical issue is, what does nichoach mean? So you're right, that reach nichoach shows up all through the parshariot of Korbanot, it also shows up in Yechezkel, it shows up in other places, but it all starts here. This is the first Reach Nichoach in Tanakh. And I believe that Reach Nichoach is first and foremost a play of word, on words on the name Noach. Reach Nichoach, the Reach that Noach produces. And what is that smell? What is it that Hashem is reminded of? What is evoked for Hashem? Well, the evoked for Hashem is the curse on Adam. That's the first thing he talks about. Now, this smell is not necessarily evoking good stuff. It's not necessarily evoking good stuff. As a matter of fact, you know what it's evoking? It's evoking a reality that man really is steeped in evil. Now, how does a korban come there? So there's two pieces to the puzzle. Why is is anybody bringing a korban? First of all, because typically... Man fell, and he's trying to come back. No matter what it is, even a korban olah, we talk about what the what the korban olah is mechaper for. And even we talk about other korbanot that are not necessarily chatat, about what they're mechaper for, and what they accomplish in coming close to God. They're distanced. But there's a second piece to the puzzle, and I'm going to take a page right out of Rav Cook here, that ideally man is a vegetarian. Ideally man does not use other living beings to promote his own goals, whether it's eating or whatever it might be. This tells me man is essentially, sorry for saying it, bloodthirsty at the root of it. And of course, man imagines God to be, sorry to play this game, in his own image. And so what does he think is going to be the first thing that's going to appease God after this mabul and a way of saying thanks, like you said? Kill some animals. So what does Hashem now say as a result when he smells this smell that reminds him of who man is at the root? He said, you know what? I cursed the world. It was too much. 
It was too much midat hadin. I have to remove that curse. Because man isn't capable of doing better. Nebuch, look at this korban. You hear what I'm saying? Nebuch, look at this korban. And then what does he add to that? The most recent punishment that I gave, which is not the curse of the world, but the destruction of the world because of where man is, I'm not going to destroy the world again. Because man just, if I do that every time that man messes up, it's just going to be a constant cycle of destruction and flood and teva or bomb shelter, whatever it is, and, and you know, one little family surviving and starting again. I'm not going to do that. It's as if the korban reminds God, sorry for using it that way, but that's the way the text does it, that man is essentially at his heart not okay. So what happens next? God commits to something else, which is, I need to give man some security. And the security is in consistency. I'm not going to mess with the seasons again. Winter will be winter, summer will be summer, day will be day, night will be night. And can rely on those things. And there's not going to be any more usurpation of nature. There will be occasional blips, but for the most part, you can rely on it. And by the way, this is how we live. We have our winter clothes, we have our summer clothes. People back east put out storm windows and take them down. We have snow tires. right? We have school vacation. Everything is based on assuming that we know things about the seasons. Our tefillot are based on that. We just started Mashiach. In a couple of days, you guys are going to start saying, uh, uh, right? Because we have an awareness of the seasons. But then, what's the next thing Hashem does? Hashem says, okay, that's who man is. Man now needs a law code, and the law code, first and foremost, most critically, has to evolve around the sanctity of life. So I'm going to accede to you. I'm going to concede to your worst nature, your lower nature, and say you can now eat meat. But you got to be careful about dam, because that's where the danger comes in. It ultimately leads to murder. And so therefore, you may eat, but you may not have Aver Minachai and not Dam Minachai. And notice the emphasis, the Pasuk Hei, I'm going to seek out your blood. Meaning, if somebody kills another person, or if an animal kills somebody, I'm going to come after them and I'm going to get them. I'm going to put a stop at that point. That's how far you can go. And I'm charging you with doing that. I am making you king over my cre- creation, which was the first vision in Parakalif. Urduvidgatayam. And now I'm making you king in the legal sense, in a juridical sense. Look at that Pasuvav. Somebody who spills the blood of man, by man will his blood be spilt. The end of the Pasuk has three possible interpretations, and I think they're all valid. Which Adam is the last one in the Pasuk? The one who killed? The one who got killed? Or the one who's going to execute? The answer is yes. First of all, If you spill the blood of man, you have to be killed because you killed somebody who was created in the image of God. Second of all, if you kill some, you spill somebody's blood, you're killed because you were created in the image of God and you sullied it. And third of all, 
You spill the blood of man, another man will kill you because that man is in the image of God. The judge is Elohim. That's Beitin is Elohim. All three of them work. And all three of them are, each one of them taken by different Mishonim as what that Adam is. But notice that there's this law code and only after he gives us the law code, which then confirms and deepens and strengthens the sanctity of life in light of God's concession to man's lower nature, then God gives the breed. And that is, okay, I'm never going to do this again to you guys, but it is conditional on what you guys do. You must establish a legal system. You must make sure that these laws are kept. You must make sure that society doesn't become healthcare. So when we ask the question, who are the signatories to the breed? The answer is, God and B'nai Noach, God and the world. That's the Brit. And that's why it's presented in this in this order. God makes his own commitment to never usurp creation. Man's just not up for it. He just can't deal with, with things like that, and I can't hold him to that standard. I'm going to lower the standard, lower the bar. But I'm going to give him a law code which confirms that within what I'm allowing them, there is structure, and there are limits, and there's a warning, and then I'm going to make a Brit which is the breed between me and mankind about the world. that will never again destroy it. Now take a look. I know that you're, you're sitting aside and saying, wait a second, Reach Nichoach has always been a beautiful smell. How could Reach Nichoach here be something unpleasant? A smell that God has that reminds him of man's sinful nature, of man being mired in bloodthirstiness, whatever you might, might mean. So please take a look at the last pasuk on the page, source four. This is from the Tochachan Vayikra. And God says, I'll destroy your cities. I will destroy your Mikdashim. I will no longer smell that Reach Nichoach. What does he mean by that? I think the simplest read of it is, I'm no longer going to take into account your sinful nature. I'm not going to, I'm not going to forgive you. I'm not going to allow that memory of how bad you are to come in and affect my judgment. I'm going to punish you. Now, one last piece to this puzzle. I pointed out at the very beginning of the Shi'ur that in Pasuk Chafalif, we have this odd phrase, which is really superfluous. God said to his own heart. And of course, the text could have just said, And we know, since he's not talking to anybody, he's thinking it. Why Elibo? Because that's a phrase that showed up already once in the Torah. At the end of Parshat Breshit. God saw that man's evil in the world was terrible. All he's thinking about all day is bad. God regretted making man. And again, the theological question how does God regret? How come God didn't know? What does that mean? Or the next two words, two words, El Libo. God is sad, El Libo. And by the way, El Libo is also unneeded. Right? That's it. That's enough. But the God, it's almost as if God is in conversation with himself about man and said, oh, this is a nebuch. It's terrible. I feel very bad about it. And that same El Libo shows up only one other time in Chumash. And that is, again, El Libo. God says to his heart, which means this is not some sort of happy time. It's not some sort of comforting time. This is an accession, sort of a painful 
accession to man's inability to rise higher than he is and an acceptance of who man is. And you know what? I got to let them have Korbanot because Korbanot is their way of trying to repair what they've messed up. And therefore, every time that I smell that smell and I'm reminded, again, Reach is Zikaron, that I'm reminded of where man is coming from, all right, so I accept the Korban and I allow, allow them back. This is essentially the result of this, meaning the consequence of this theological inner turmoil, which is, of course, a strange thing to say, is Sefer Yonah. Is where Hashem, at the end of the road of Sefer Yonah, what's his position against Yonah? I forgive, even though the forgiveness is not great, even though man is base. I will forgive because there's an attempt. It starts here. And the culmination of that, of course, is in the forgiveness of the people of, of Ninveh. Um, and, uh, and so what we've looked at over the course of the last half hour is the strange sequence of things that happen at the end of the Mabul, where Hashem tells Noah to leave, and the first thing Noach does when he gets out is to build a Mizbeach. God never commanded him to build a Mizbeach. God never told him to build, bring Korbanot. He brings Korbanot. It's the first Mizbeach we hear of in history. And he brings Korbanot to Hashem. And Hashem's response is strange on several levels. Also, I'm not going to curse the earth, earth anymore, going back to the curse of Adam. And then because man is wicked from his birth, and it was, I'm doing a nice thing because man's terrible. And then I'm not going to destroy the world again. And then I'm going to keep the seasons as they are. The whole string of things is odd. So hopefully by putting the korban into proper perspective here, as not being commanded by God, and maybe not being even what God wanted, perhaps that illuminates what's going on here. We then hear God giving a legal code, a moral legal code to mankind regarding the spilling of blood, which is, starts with the korban, where blood is spilled, and then leading to the breed, which is really contingent upon man maintaining that code uh, of uh, of the sanctity of life. So hopefully we've got a little better uh, vision and idea of what's going on with these strange sequence of things that happen after the mabul, but again, by the time this all ends, the expectations of man are lower, and the therefore the demand that man live up to the new lower expectations is higher. And that's where Avram enters the picture as the one who's going to hopefully bring mankind up to that level of expectation.